Welcome to Hunter and Craft Radio. What's up, guys? Evan Lewis here with another episode of Hunter and Craft Radio. This is a killer episode with my good buddy Ryan Porter, founder of Raise Your Flag. For anyone who's still kind of trying to find themselves and find their best career path, anyone interested in travel for personal growth, sales, and startup development, this is an amazing episode for you. I won't give away too much. Without any further ado, here's Ryan. So Ryan, the first thing I want to talk about today is kind of how you started your career, because I think it's really interesting, especially for you know people kind of uh, looking to kickstart their career, you know, kind of trying to find themselves. You moved out to Japan, kind of dropped out of school, and had a pretty crazy travel journey there. So I'd love if you could just you know tell us about that experience and uh, and how that went for you. Yeah, so I guess like rewind just pre-Japan. Uh, so I dropped out of college. I was in business in college and I absolutely hated it. I found like college in Canada is glorified high school. No disrespect <laughs> if the College Council of Canada is listening right now. But it was just glorified high school. I wasn't getting what I wanted to get out of it. So I dropped out. I moved to a buddy's house who was living a couple of hours away uh, from my hometown. He was living in a place called Waterloo, Ontario. He was going to the University of Waterloo and he sold me on the idea of coming and living in a, a house with students, partying <laughs> with the students, um, but I wasn't a student. So to most people, that would seem like a horrible idea. But for us, it was like the perfect plan. So I moved with him and I live in his basement. I spent all my student loans and savings on like partying and rent and whatever food we had for Mr. Noodle after it was all done. And so my mom is actually a career counselor by trade. And so uh, I woke up this one Sunday morning. My buddy's sitting on my bed. He's like, yo, wake up. And I'm like, what are you doing in my room? He's like, your mom's here. And so that's like bad news when your mom shows up. And so she brings me to Swiss Chalet uh, and she sits me down in this restaurant and she's like, what are you doing with your life? You get it together or move to Japan or do something, but get your life together. And she could have said like Jamaica or South Africa or Botswana. She could have chosen any country, but she said Japan. And I was like, Japan, like I've heard of that place. And uh, so like that day, literally, I sent my resume to a company that was recruiting English teachers from Toronto uh, to go and teach English in Japan. Two weeks later, I had my interview, and two months later, I moved to Tokyo. And so I moved there, like, not knowing anything. I didn't know the language. I didn't have friends there. I didn't know anything. But it was just one of those experiences that, like, I guess because it was so new and I had zero expectations, I was a sponge and just met as many people as I could, had as many conversations as I could, and just learned as much as I could. And that, that was kind of the catalyst for me getting some direction and some clarity around what it is that I want to do. So if, you know, for someone who's in that similar situation, like they're going abroad, they're trying to find themselves, like what were kind of the, the best things that you did uh, when you were in Japan to kind of find some direction? And I mean, you, you mentioned, talked to a lot of people, you did a lot, of, you, you taught obviously and uh, had a lot of awesome experiences. You travel around Japan a lot as well? Yeah. So I've, ba- so I've, I've been back to Japan 14 times since living there. Uh, I've backpacked pretty much the entire country. Uh, I've visited most places in there multiple times. Uh, And I've also spent times in other countries around the world as well. But I think that like the first thing any person needs to do, and and specifically young people, because this type of conversation, hopefully we're getting people as they're just starting their careers. Like the first thing people need to do is eliminate the question like, what do I want to be when I grow up? And that... To me, that question causes so much pressure 
because it kind of infers that there's a right answer or that there's only one answer. And like, I don't want to be the person who gets that one wrong in the test. And so the very first thing that I did is the way that I moved out there with no expectations. And I'd love to act like it was this conscious, but it wasn't. So I had no idea. I wasn't trying to answer a specific question. Like I wasn't trying to get something specific done. And I think that's what really kind of opened me up to just having whatever experiences that I had. And I was genuinely interested in the people that I was talking to. Like I really, how did you become a scuba diving instructor in Thailand? Like tell me about that. Why were you in Hawaii taking photos of professional surfers and selling them to surf magazines? Like these are the type of people that I was meeting out there. And I was just genuinely interested because I was just looking for my next step. And that doesn't mean I was looking for the ultimate goal. I was just looking for the next thing. Hmm. So in terms of like travel for personal growth is kind of a, a huge topic right now, right? So did you, uh, like when you came back from, like what was that experience like, you know, you're there in Japan for like a year-ish and yep. then you came back and like what was that experience like kind of reimmersing yourself in our culture here and, and trying to figure out, you know, the next steps after that? Yeah, so travel has this magical ability to sift out all the crap that doesn't matter. And when you return from a trip, from living abroad, the stuff that's still around, whether it's friends or family or jobs or opportunities, they're probably the ones that matter, mm -hmm. right? And so one of the things I noticed is a lot of the people that I wasn't really sure of before I left and a lot of the opportunities that I thought I wanted to pursue, those things evaporated while I was overseas. And when I came back, you know, the friends that were still around, the job opportunities that were still around, the people that were still around, they were the ones that mattered. And they also kind of indicated to me which things I should be pouring energy into. And then to, in terms of actually coming back to Canada, in terms of reverse culture shock, it was way harder coming back <laughs> here than it was going there. Because I, I had no expectations going there. Yeah. But then coming back, I, I had this now something to compare my life in Ajax, Ontario to, right? Like, wait a second, I can't jump on this bus or this train and get anywhere in the matter of like a couple of minutes or, you know, just all of the conveniences that I became super accustomed to uh, in Japan just didn't exist here and it took me a while to get used to that. So if someone's visiting Japan, like, I mean, it seems like, the, what, what do you think are the most blatant, uh, like, what, what do you like most about their culture that you maybe don't see a lot here in Canada? Yeah, so there's a lot of things on the surface that Japan, you know, you always see these videos like the weird country Japan where these guys are marrying blow-up dolls and like it's just, so there's this really bizarre part to Japan that, you know, other cultures might look at Canada and, and think the same thing, like these crazy people wearing t-shirts in minus 40 weather, like I don't know what our thing would be, but so if you can get past all of that surface stuff, Japan is this, this country that first of all has these um, these great things that happen in communication. And so one of those things is it's a super high contextual communication style, which means that everybody knows what the person is talking about. They don't have to say, this is the thing that I think. They can just talk around it and everybody just kind of knows what they're talking about. And I think there's kind of an art form to that in, in business. Like that's something that I took from that that I use in business. I don't have to explicitly say certain things. I can talk around those certain things. Huh. Um, and the other thing is that in Japan, it's more of this group think mentality where everybody thinks of what's best for the group. And sometimes it's horrible. Like here's a perfect example. I was in Shibuya, Tokyo, which is the busiest intersection in the world. Three million people cross there every day. This guy's standing there, this gust of wind came and blew this file folder that he was holding open and papers went everywhere. And nobody did a thing. No one was like, maybe I should help this poor guy with his papers that are flying all over the busiest <laughs> intersection in the world. But then this one woman, 
she stepped forward and like stopped a piece of paper with her hand and everybody then stepped forward and grabbed the piece of paper for this guy. Like it's, it's really like inferred right here. I think people would do that anyway, but there is like, once it's okay to do something, everybody goes and, and does that thing. And it was something that I just came to appreciate that a group of people on, let's say a subway car, they're really considering what's best for everybody on that subway car. That's why their feet aren't on the seats. That's why no one's listening to music loud. That's why no one's talking on the phone, right? Because that's annoying for everybody else. Don't do that. No one's listening to, you know, Fetty Wap on their speaker phone because that's annoying. Like, no one wants that. And so one of the things that I, I – there's definitely negatives to that. I'm not yeah. saying it's a better, a better way to do things. Yeah. But I think that a little bit more consideration for the people around you isn't a bad thing. And you met your wife there. Was it on the first go around or was it? I actually met my wife here. You met your wife here? Yeah, yeah. So my wife is from Japan. Uh, She was living in Toronto and working here. I had just come back from like my sixth trip to Japan over the holidays. And my buddy was like, yo, I haven't seen you in a few weeks. Let's have a big holiday. Like, welcome to the New Year party. And I'll invite some friends. And she happened to be one of the friends that that was there. So we met here and then, you know dated here and then went back and forth and then made that long distance relationship kind of work for a couple of years and then uh, finally got married out there and then moved, uh, moved here. Okay, you get home from Japan, what happens then? Yeah, so I get home from Japan and as it had turned out, uh, my mom was working for an agency that was doing career counseling for women whose lives have been impacted by abuse. The government pulled the funding and she actually started a company to help kids figure out like which university major to study or which college course to take. And I'm really trivializing the work that she did because it was a little bit more in depth than that. Yeah. But um, she was helping these younger people. And so she asked me to come in and do some of the marketing for them and basically hooking me up with a job while I figured out the next step. (laughs) And so I went in there and I was helping her. She ended up having this client that wasn't going to university or college and had no idea what to do. And she asked me to just basically talk to this kid and, and share some experiences. Mm-hmm. This kid heard the experiences and he asked me to come in and speak to his class. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, bro, there is no way I'm speaking to like a bunch of like high school age kids about my travels and my experiences. But he eventually convinced me to do it. I went in and spoke to his class and another teacher was watching. And then she asked me to come and speak to her class. And the principal asked me to come to speak to the school. And so I kind of like stumbled into this, hey, this could be a thing, speaking to these young people. Because I kind of came back with a bone to pick with education. Uh, I felt really ripped off while I was in Japan that nobody told me that that existed, right? I think we put a ridiculous amount of pressure on young people to follow the path, right? Go to high school, graduate, go to university, graduate, take a trip to Florida once a year. Like I think that that's like the kind of prescribed path that all these kids get. And the reality is, and I'm sure we'll get into this if you talk about a little bit of the business side of things, but almost half the kids do not take that path out of high school. And so I wanted to act as a pressure release valve for those kids to just be like, look, here's some people out there that are doing something completely different. Like, let's talk about the scuba diving instructor. Let's talk about the snowboard sticker designer. Let's talk about (laughs) the professional surf photographer. Let's talk about those people. Just so you know, I'm not, this isn't, hey, you can do whatever you want. I'm not that guy. I'm not like, you put your mind to it, right? I'm not, I'm not that guy. But I think that if we can get a better idea of the depth of the career chart, there'll be a little bit less pressure for kids to go and follow a path that doesn't resonate with them. So that's a little side kind of tangent there, but so I'm, I'm learning that this speaking thing kind of exists and I fly down to Dallas to meet with the person who is kind of the youth speaker in the world, like top youth speaker. 
and I just picked his brain for a weekend. Nice. And uh, I paid him to pick his brain for the weekend, but he's a fantastic, fantastic guy. Helped me out a lot. I came back and started deploying some of the things I'd learned from him. And uh, within two years, I was speaking at the same events as him. And so to date, I've spoken, of, I've spoken to about 900,000 uh, kids across Canada and the U.S. And it's all about two things. One, just having rad experiences and not worrying about um, what they might lead to. Like just have the experience for the sake of having the experience. And then two, uh, the, the kind of underlying message of everything that I talk about when I'm talking with young people is the power of decision. And it sounds corny and cliche on the surface, but as human beings, really, that's all we have. We have decision, right? We have things that happen to us. We get to decide how we're going to respond. Um, we get a job. We decide what we're going to do every day. You're in a relationship. You get to decide how you're going to make that thing work. Um, and so I really want young people to feel empowered that they have this superpower. Like they can decide whatever they want to decide. And if they want to decide to go and do something that no one in their family has ever done before, like that's an option. And people have done it all the time. And people do it every day. So why not, why not those young people? So that brings up the question in my mind then, what do you say to a kid who's like, okay, you know, they hear your speech and you're like, you can do anything, you can go travel, you can have all these experiences. What do you say when they say, okay, well, you know, but I need to make the whole money thing, obviously, right? Like I need to make money to, to do all that, or I got to pay off my student loans. Like, how do you kind of combat that issue of them feeling the, the monetary pressure to, you know, to get a job? Yeah, so I usually start with get a job. I'm like, <laughs> like, look, you can work any part-time job for like four months and have enough money to buy a ticket anywhere in the world, right? right? And so I think, again, when we talk about like the prescribed plan and path, you know, these kids have grown up thinking that travel is five-star resorts in Cancun, Mexico for yeah. a week. The idea of like paying $6 per night for a hostel in the Guatemalan jungle <laughs> just doesn't even cross their mind, right? Like that's how much I was paying when I was in Guatemala, like $11 for a converted school into a hostel in Slovakia where there's no hot water. Like, and then I get to come back and I get to say that. Like I, that's a story. If I was like, I went to this country that you've probably never been to and you've probably never heard of and I stay in a really nice hotel. It's like end of story. <laughs> like that's not interesting. That's not the experience. Like so first of all, I just try to dispel the, the myth that like travel isn't expensive. Yep. Like you can spend less money in other countries than you do in your home country. Even if you are living with your parents and the only thing you spend your money on every day is Starbucks and McDonald's, <laughs> right? Like take that money and that's like accommodation in a developing country or country that's not too popular with, with, with backpackers or travelers. And so my first thing is just, just get a job. Like I don't care what it is. Go bus tables, go shovel snow, go do whatever you need to do for three, four months to put enough money away to go and have those experiences. And those experiences are absolutely key to a person making decisions about what they want to do. And so like I have this absolute belief that travel is one of the most important things a young person can do for personal development and personal growth. Like those experiences absolutely define a person. And what happens is, is we're, we're open to kind of more extreme situations when we're younger. And then as you get older, you know, you start to crave that five star, that st that five star experience, right? Because, you know, now you're working every single day and you just want to be pampered. But when you're younger and you can rough it out, like absolutely like get in that chicken bus in Guatemala <laughs> or like get on that micro bus in Honduras during the military coup. Like these are things that I've done and they're just like, those are, I, those are the things that like, shape my decisions and kind of my view on the way things should be and I'm not right I'm not saying I'm right and it's the only way to do things but my entire decision making kind of rubric was designed through travel and these experiences 
So in terms of the speaking gigs, then you like, what does that look like right now? And how has that kind of evolved over the years? Right. So you mentioned like 900,000 kids kind of all over Canada, like what's, and you're more handpicking them right now, but like just expand a little bit on, on that and kind of your best experiences in doing those speeches, like maybe some of the, some of the coolest gigs that you've had. Sure. So at, at its peak, I was doing about 40 weeks of the year on the road. And so what I mean by that, I mean, at least once per week for 40 weeks, I was in a city that wasn't my, my hometown. And so uh, there was a couple years where there, uh, nearly the majority of the gigs were coming south of the border. So I spent a ton of time in the U.S. Uh, U.S. has a fantastic infrastructure for student leadership programs that we just don't have up here in Canada. They have... FFA, which used to stand for Future Farmers of America, but now it just stands for nothing. Uh, FBLA, Future Business Leaders of America, FCCLA, HOSA, HOBI, uh, you know, all of these different organizations where these kids identify that they're interested in something and they have these huge state organizations or, or, or um, conferences nice. where there's like, so you talked about some of the best ones. So I did this one in uh, Fresno, California for the Future Farmers of America in California and it was like 6,000 kids in a stadium. And it's like, I'm in like one of those 360 degree stages with four jumbotrons and my face on every jumbotron. There's a laser show and <laughs> like smoke. And then this kid from Ajax wearing like red pants gets up on stage and talks about going to Japan and eating fish sperm. Like it's just like <laughs> one of these bizarre experiences that like this, this career path kind of, kind of brought me to. But there's also been these other interesting experiences like um, fly-in First Nations communities in Northern Canada, like being in those types of communities where there's probably a bigger culture gap there in my own backyard than there has been in any of my travels around the world and stuff that we're just not aware of, which we should be aware of because they're kind of pressing issues for this beautiful country that we live in. And so like having those types of experiences, but the, it's going to kind of borderline corny here, but like I get emails from these kids every single day. And emails where these kids feel comfortable telling me something that they've probably never told anybody else. Whether that's, you know, a young woman messaging me and saying my boyfriend's pressuring me to have sex and I'm not sure if I'm ready for that, that right now. And I have nobody else to talk to. And so what started off as this kind of like fun thing getting on stage slowly starts to take this like tone of seriousness and, you know, responsibility for, for the work that I'm doing. And so yeah, it's awesome getting on stage in front of 5,000 kids. But it's also equally as awesome, like going and doing like a fly-in community of First Nations students with like 11 people in the audience. Like I still get a kick out of that kind of stuff. And, uh, and at the end of the day, like it is humbling to have those, those young people respect me enough or trust me enough to, to share something, some part of them with me, which is pretty cool. So what have you learned most then, I guess, I mean, all of that that you're talking about, people looking up to you, that's really, you know, you being a leader, right, in some respects. So that's a big theme. You know, we did a podcast earlier um, in the year about, you know, why you should design your startup like a sports team, right, and talking about, you know, how the, the pack mentality and, you know, making sacrifices for others and leadership is so, so important, right? So maybe if you could just speak a little bit about, and also your experiences with, with Raise Your Flag, just like, you know, what you've learned about leadership over the years. Yeah, if I could kind of like boil it down to, I still have a very far way to go. Like, we're a very young company, we're a very small company. Um, but if there's one thing that I've learned kills a team and 
kills a presentation and kills a sales call and kills a conversation is anytime there's ego involved with that thing that you're doing. And so I find like the best leaders and the people that I've looked up to and the people that I've learned from, they're people that are comfortable with saying, look, I don't know the answer to this thing and I'm down to figure it out with you guys. And I'll be the person at the front of the ship. I'll be the first one off the ship, you know, into battle or the last one on the ship if it's sinking. And there's no ego, right? They're not in it to like make themselves feel better, to get a plaque, to get an award, to get a paycheck, like a, that's bigger than everybody else. And so if I could just boil it down to one thing, it's like there's just no place for ego at all. And you mentioned sports and like think about some of those sports teams we were like, man, that team would be so much better yep. if that one dude with that jumbo ego wasn't in the locker room with them. And that's how I view, you know, startups. That's how I view relationships. The second an ego starts to creep in is the second that thing starts to die. Oh, yeah, totally. Love that. Um, yeah, that's, that's very in line with, you know, what, what we talked about on that podcast. So I want to get back really quickly to um, some of the speaking stuff because I personally find that interesting just in like... You know, that's, that's something that not a lot of people would be comfortable with, right? Like you say, you're on a jumbotron, like your face is everywhere in front of 6,000 kids. Um, and that's something, you know, personally, I love that. Like mm -hmm. I get a kick out of that and I, obviously you do as well. But what have you learned, I guess, like and what's your preparation? You're going into a big speech or something like that. Like how do you get yourself fired up and how do you make sure that, you know, you're going to rock that speech as opposed to, you know, maybe fumbling over your words or, or whatever it is. Like what, what's your kind of plan of attack for those? Yeah. So there's a couple of things that I do. So one thing is uh, I grew up playing sports. I was a basketball player, you know, for as long as I can remember. And it's very similar to getting ready for a sports game. It's yep. like you're rubbing your hands together. Maybe you have your earphones in. Maybe some people do push-ups. I'm not, I don't go that extreme. <laughs> I stretch. But yeah, like I do. I stretch. <laughs> and there's even the, there was that like TED talk at one point where they just talk about like the power stance, like putting your hands on your hips and like pushing your chest out actually like makes you more powerful and releases chemicals in your body. So there's all those things that you can do. But um, it kind of ties back to what I was talking to about ego and the biggest mistake that I see speakers make, and so I get phone calls almost daily and emails almost daily from people like, yeah, I want to be a speaker. I'm going to change the world. I want to inspire kids or I want to inspire whoever. And it's like, <laughs> you're already framing this wrong. Like you think it's about you and that's not it. And so the first thing I do is I remind myself is that there's a group that's waiting to hear something and yep. I, I'm the conduit for that thing. And it's not about me on stage, about what I'm going to say. Um, it's about what they're going to take home. And it sounds a little bit kind of philosophical, but there is a divide there. It's, yep. you know, if I'm going to make a decision, do I tell this story or do I say this thing? The only way that I make that decision, is it going to help them have a better experience, remember this thing or take something home with them? Yep. So, so that's kind of how I frame my presentation. And then when I get up there and I'm giving the presentation, um, I tell stories and that's all I do. Like it's an hour of storytelling. You look at some of the people like, look at like a Gary Vaynerchuk, right? Or uh, Sir Ken Robinson, who has one of the most viewed uh, TED Talks of all time, you get lost in the presentation because they're not up there like, and here are the stats of college dropouts <laughs> for 1999. They just tell you this really engaging story that has a point. And uh, when I teach other speakers about how to get up there and deliver a presentation, um, I call them vitamin wieners. And <laughs> it's because we had this dog when I was 14 years old, this German Shepherd, she lived to be like 16 years old when she got really old she couldn't eat anything and she needed this like medicine 
uh, to help her with her arthritis. And the only way you could get her to take this medicine is by like stuffing the vitamin into a hot dog and giving it to her, then she'd eat the hot dog. You give her the medicine by itself, no way she wouldn't touch it. But in the form of a hot dog, she would gobble that thing up. And if you go to a kid and you're like, you can do anything you want to do, just put your mind to it. This world is double rainbows wrapped in baby dreams. They're gonna be like, get out of my face. But if you're like, hey, you know, here's a story about this time I went to Japan, this crazy experience that I had, and here's kind of what it means to me and what it could mean to you, they're just so much more susceptible to taking something away and engaging with that piece of the presentation. 100%. That ties very well to you know, my philosophy on writing you know, as I'm trying to write a lot more and uh, you know, putting these podcasts together and that type of thing. It's like the one guiding principle is speak from the heart and speak to what you know best and you, can, you can't go wrong yeah. basically, right? Like you can't go wrong with, with any of this stuff is, you know, because it's completely organic and you, the minute you're trying to fake anything – you know, you're screwed if you're absolutely so um let's now transition into you know on the topic of following your heart and um taking you know your your experiences with the youth empowerment the speaking and then transitioning that into the startup game with raise your flag so maybe if you could just talk about kind of the the initial stages of that when you thought hey i could turn this into a company and kind of um what, what the ideation phase was like yes yeah, so the ideation phase was kind of I wouldn't say forced on me, but like really brought out to me in like, in like glaring brightness. So I ended up, so I, I wrote this book um, that had this tagline. So it's called Make Your Own Lunch, but the tagline yep. is called uh, How to Live an Epically Epic Life Through Travel, Work, Wonder, and Maybe College. Yep. And I'm not saying that to plug my book that you can pick up in any bookstore in North America <laughs> or online at Amazon.com. <laughs> I'm saying that because, because I said at the end that there's that maybe college piece. Yep. I ended up being the guy who spoke at these conferences for kids that were not going to university or college. And so, you know, the, the startup story that I always tell, and this is, you know, this is how it actually happened, is I was speaking at this, this um, conference called Mission Employable for kids that weren't going to, were not going to university or college. I got off stage, this kid comes and introduces himself to me as Michael. He thanks me for being there. His chin starts quivering like he's gonna cry. And he's like, my friends and family don't know that I'm at the conference today. And I said, dude, what are you talking about? He said, do you have any idea how embarrassing it is when all of your friends are opening up a university acceptance letter and you're the loser in the corner who doesn't know what he's doing with his life? And so at that point I was like, holy crap, sucks to be this kid Michael. But in my mind I'm thinking he's the minority. Right? Because growing up, going through school, as I mentioned, like everybody talks about the path. Mm -hmm. And so I got home and I was like, okay, how many Michaels could there possibly be? Like, really? And it turns out 45% of kids in Canada and the US go to work as their primary post secondary destination. And so when I found that out, I was legitimately angry at the system. Like, you're making Michael feel bad when he represents more of the pie than any other group of people. And I started going through my, through my friends in my head, like, let me go through my core group of buddies, like eight guys. One of them went to university and graduated. I've got friends who are running car, my brother's running a car dealership. I don't even think he finished high school. I think he got kicked out of school for fist fighting a teacher. You know, like I've got buddies who are driving trucks, buddies who are delivery guys, buddies who are police, police officers, firefighters, like none of those things require a degree or diploma. And guess what? They're happy, they're successful, they're contributing to society. So when I kind of stumbled on this thing that there's just like more Michaels than anybody else, I decided to do something. And at first it was like, let's write another book, but I'm not really a writer writer. And I'd been really kind of jonesing to start something new and I wanted to be tech based. And so that's where I started kind of shopping around for a co-founder with this idea of developing a platform for kids that are not going to university or college. 
So let's talk about the platform then. So, you know, what it, what did it start as? Um, and then, you know, where is it now? Because an interesting thing that I find, um, you know, they talk a lot about in the startup world is like focusing on a specific niche, right? Like not trying to do too much. And, you know, we were guilty of that with eProf where we didn't really know, you know, we didn't, we never had a, a product market fit. We thought we did, but, you know, we weren't, we weren't laser focused. Like we should have started maybe as like, online teaching platform but instead of trying to be for all languages or for all subjects maybe it's just for you know know, for a specific language or for math or whatever right so maybe talk about like kind of narrowing down your focus and how important that um, that's been for you guys and and also kind of you know where you are today yeah so we made a huge mistake at the beginning Um, we and so we made a mistake in the sense that I knew education a little bit and that's the world that I thought I had to play in for something like this. And so that was like my first, that's just what I saw first, like we need to be in education. And so the first platform of Raise Your Flag was um, for guidance counselors where they could have this like whole system to monitor their students that weren't going to university or college. They could kind of like watch how they use the platform. Um, Kids could go on there and like set goals for their post-secondary transition and like (laughs) research careers. And then guidance counselors, it's basically for guidance counselors to monitor them all. Yeah. They could sort them by their engagement on the platform. And so we started like really like hard selling some schools on this thing. And First of all, like selling to education just beats you down. Yep. Like the questions <laughs> that people ask, they're not, they're not what you expect. They're not what you prep for as a, as a technology founder. Like they're not what you expect as a, as a, as a founder of a, of a technology company. Like I had a, a guy one time who was at the head of a school board that maybe had, I don't know, 15,000 students in it. And he's like, well, tell me, how does this scale? And I'm like, you have 15,000 kids in your school board. I think it scales okay. Like, <laughs> trust me, we're going to be okay with this one. And then, and then his, his CTO asked, well, where do you store the data? And I'm like ripping my hair out. Like, it was 2014 at the time. I'm like, it's 2014. I can store the data in your pocket. Like, you guys are giving yourselves way too credit, like way too much credit here. You have a very small group of kids. Like, let's talk about how we're helping them. Let's ask some questions. But they, they never got around to that. And that was kind of the, the final straw of these meetings that I kept having where, you know, I was trying to sell to schools and I realized that they have, uh, you know, a, a four year sales cycle at times. And yeah. like as a young startup, you just don't have the runway for that. And you want to see people who are excited to use your, your platform, your yeah. product. And they weren't. So we scrapped it. Like we threw all the code, all the design out the window and we said, okay, who else has something to gain or lose by these young people being engaged or not. And we landed on employers, right? Employers see this huge turnover of early entry level young workers. And the second most cited reason a young person leaves a company is that they don't see a future with that company. And so we started by talking with <clears throat> these em- employers, starting to surface some of those problems. And then we landed on the new version of Raise Your Flag, which is tethered to the idea of a career path. And everybody talks about the career path, but what we do is we actually kind of quantify a career path. And we say, okay, you want to be a fashion designer? Well, here's how you go from working a fashion retail job to being a tailor's assistant, to being a pattern cutter, to being a a fashion designer. Oh, and by the way, here's employment at every step of that career path in whatever geographic location you're in around the world. Oh, and by the way, here are the training programs that you need. You might not need a degree or diploma, but here's a Skillshare class that can help. Or here's the actual regulatory body in your state or your province that you would need to register with in order to go and get that license or certification. And so we really tackle things in terms of a linear path, although we know that careers aren't linear, 
That's the way that it's kind of formulated on the site right now. Yeah. And now we're doing things like you can go on there and tell us that you're working retail and then we can show you a bunch of paths that stem from retail nice. or you can tell us that you want to be a photographer and we can show you a bunch of different ways to becoming a photographer. And then, of course, we work with companies who give us the data of their their kind of internal career paths and say, hey, look, you can start handling the bags at Air Canada and within a few years, you know, you could be working as a customer service manager or you could start by answering the phones and in a few years, you could be running the whole show in terms of customer service. And these, these companies, they just see value in that because they, can, they see the same data that we see in their annual reports. Mm-hmm. You had X amount of young people under the age of 30 and in this year, you lost over 50% of them. That's a problem. And we know that you guys are spending millions of dollars trying to solve this problem. Let us... Let us be that kind of like third party that validates that, that pathway and that opportunity. So you guys, you mentioned uh, Skillshare. You guys are integrating now some of the like new age ed tech type of stuff into the, into the software? Yes. Yeah, so in, in a couple of ways actually. So one way is every career path, uh, every occupation on a career path has a need to have and a nice to have section. Nice. And so the need to have, those are licenses, those are certifications, those are absolute requirements that you need to have, hence the name, mm-hmm. uh, we're clever, yeah. to, get, <laughs> to get into that position. Then the other thing is nice to have. And so like, I don't know about you, but if I'm having a hiring d- discussion with somebody and they come in and they're like, oh yeah, I, went to, I did this thing, uh, but I also took these like five online courses that are all about designing the perfect logo. And you're like, well, that's kind of cool. Tell me more about that. Yeah. Um, and so we, we include those. And then the other way that we integrate them in Raise Your Flag is so we actually have some cool partners right now, like um, Treehouse. Yep. So they do the online learning for um, uh, design, development. I think they do product uh product uh, development as well now too and some I think they're getting in business development in the future Uh, so we've got them uh, Lighthouse Labs which is based here in Toronto so another development boot camp and then um, McKinsey Generation McKinsey Generation they have this goal to create 750,000 jobs in five geographic regions around the world and then in in the US they're starting with very specific uh, industries IT retail hospitality uh, and so we've actually passed the careers that their training can open up for for a user nice that's wicked. And so like Treehouse, like for example, tree, uh, for Treehouse, there's a, a lead Android developer pathway that you could go on and it starts by getting a Treehouse um, learning and then it, you work your way to becoming a lead Android developer. Or let's say Lighthouse Labs, you know, you start with their development bootcamp, they have an awesome co-op program as part of that bootcamp yep. and then now you're on a path to becoming a CTO and you nice. don't need a degree and you don't need a diploma. Dude, that's sick. Thank I didn't you. even know about any of that. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, we just launched. So all of those learning partners launched when we launched the, uh, the redesign of the site in August. Okay. Um, and then at the same time, what we also launched is uh, badges for soft workplace skills. So you can actually go on Raise Your Flag now and earn a badge for your profile for customer service where you actually go on the platform and you complete these three challenges where it's like respond to this email from an angry customer and then we, we get sent that email that you, re- that you respond to, uh, we kind of vet it, make sure that it, it hits the benchmarks and some of the milestones that we want it to hit and then we issue that, that badge to the user. And the reason we did that is, is as a test, we want employers to actually kind of be part of that process. Like imagine having the Virgin Mobile communication badge and if you earn that, you actually get an interview with that company, right? Like it's in everybody's best interest to A, get these people those skills and B, interview the people with those skills. And so that's what we're really trying to aim for. And like if we go big picture, we want there to be university, college, and raise your flag. And anyone who's not going those two pathways are coming right to us and getting everything they need. I love it, dude. I love Thank you turning you. up the innovation in a big way and I absolutely fucking love that that's sick thanks uh, man that's really exciting I like 
that's in a beautiful, beautiful direction, and uh, so it's great to hear. Let's talk a little bit, a uh, little bit about your new technical co-founder and just how awesome that is to have that guy. Yeah, so we went through one of those kind of classic startup situations where uh, the one of the founders, so my co-founder that I started the company with, uh, ended up transitioning out, going to something a little bit more full-time and secure. Startup life is a little bit um, rocky from time to time. Mm -hmm. uh, and then so I was kind of on the mission to find a technical co-founder uh, to help build the next the next version of the platform. And uh, this, this young guy found me on AngelList, 21-year-old kid, messaged me on AngelList, like, hey, dude, I'd love to chat with you. And I think he actually kind of came to me from, you know, yeah, he'd like to work for us, but I think he was also trying to look at how he could use the platform to help him in his career. Mm -hmm. And during the conversation, he was kind of like, yeah, you know, I, I think I could help, you know, a tech company build products. And I was like, whoa, 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 like, man, you are way too junior to work for us. Like, I was just completely slipped into like age bias and was like, there's no way you are old enough to work for this established company. It was only me at the time. So, so, yeah, company of one and sometimes my dog. So, so, and as it turns out, fast forward a few months later, I met another guy that was coding. So uh, this guy that I met was coding uh, using Meteor, which is a, a, this JavaScript framework. Uh, and I met this other guy who's another like Meteor genius building incredible products. Mm -hmm. And he was also talking about maybe coming to work for us. And, and, and at the same time, this other guy that I had met, uh, not the young guy, uh, but the, the new guy, he got recruited by a startup in San Francisco. But he offered to kind of train the younger guy to bring him up to speed on how to like use Meteor to build awesome products. And like literally within 12 hours of introducing the two of them to get to, to each other, the, uh, the more experienced and older Meteor developer was like, there is nothing I need to teach this kid, like you should bring him on board. And so I brought him on temporary, like, hey, let's rebuild the platform together and see how we work together and let me see the work that you do. And we, you know, expected it to take maybe eight weeks for a full, you know, uh, recode. And by week three, we had the entire product up in staging, kicking the tires and testing it. And by week four, it was deployed. Come on. So, like, he's just an absolute, absolute workhorse, pushing features daily. Um, he's a sponge. You, you know, we have conversations about growth, things that may not have been in his, his toolkit you know, four weeks ago, but we start talking about growth and he'll go out and sponge up as much things as he can about growth and start implementing those things into the product and into his processes. And so for me, it's just been an absolute joy to work with this, this person who's so absolutely stoked about, about the work that they're doing. So it's a, it worked out for us in, in the, in the long run. Dude, that's, that is, that guy is worth his weight in gold. Oh, absolutely. You don't have to tell me. Like, the first, like as soon as he came, like the first bit of revenue that came in as we started uh, flipping some contracts over, yeah. it was like, and here you go. Please don't leave me. Like, so and so now we're actually going into to doing a, f a few more things that make it a, a lot more formal, and the lawyers are involved, so everything is everyone's getting exactly what they deserve. So it's 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 a good thing for us. Awesome. Okay, so the last couple things I want to dive into a little bit of your best learning on sales and fundraising because those are two you know big topics anyone looking to you know start a business or you know sales in particular the last podcast I did um, was with a guy from Vision Critical who's a G just like amazing sales leader um, so a lot of that's that's a big topic and something I'm super passionate about and obviously you've been selling you mentioned a little bit selling into the education space which I know from experience as well is a total grind and I have a lot of respect for you for, for sticking it out. So maybe a couple of your best lessons on, um, on sales and just, you know, getting to close and then also, uh, you know, it ties into the fundraising piece, you know, 
core part is having that team and having the, the technical co-founder, but maybe some of your best lessons just trying to get term sheets and, and being on the grind um, and you know what you've learned from that. Yeah, so first on the sales front. Um, so with sales, what I found is you know, Gary Vaynerchuk always talks about like trying to close too quickly on social media. And he always talks about like, um, I think he refers to it as like trying to kiss somebody like the second, like you just meet them like, hi, I'm Ryan. Like, yeah. So like, what are you doing? Get away from me. You're gross. <laughs> and so there really is kind of this like, this like courting process. Right. Yeah. And at the end of the day, especially for early startups is you want to work with companies who are passionate about the idea and not necessarily the product in its current state. Right, it's it's a little bit of there's a difference there. You don't want someone who's going to be like, oh, this is the greatest product ever. Like, that, yeah, that's a great place to be, but you want someone who's like, I absolutely buy into this vision, and yeah. we need something that does the things that you're promising. Even though we probably know that in its current state, you can't promise those things, you can't deliver on those things. Yeah, we really buy into this vision because then they're going to be a little bit more tolerant of um, the mistakes and the bumps in the road. Yeah. So, excuse me. One of the Perfect examples is, um, so we actually, one of our customers is Air Canada and a phenomenal company for us to be working with. We had the initial conversations with them and they loved the idea of promoting these pathways that don't require a degree or diploma because they're very clear that some of their jobs and their career paths don't require a degree or diploma. And so we actually worked out this deal with them after we like kind of um, chiseled down to something that worked for both both sides. Mm -hmm. They actually ended up calling us back and extending some of the terms like past the, the time frame that, that we had agreed on and also being like, and we also know we have to pay double if we're doing that. And so they had like, li- ex- like actually literally doubled down on us and betting on us to be able to help them with this, with this group of young people. And so for us, that's like the ideal company that says, hey, we love what you guys are doing. We think that you guys can do this and we just really want you to be able to, 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 to deliver on these things. So this, first of all, finding the companies that are going to buy into the, the general idea and having those conversations and just getting them excited about it. And then the next thing is actually working on, you know, after you get those ones done um, or out of the way, then also nailing down your process for getting people excited about those things. Like I kind of lucked out that, you know, uh, Air Canada got introduced to us by somebody else. Tim Horton saw me on television. McKinsey was referred to me by somebody else. Um, you know, uh, a couple of these other companies that we have in negotiations right now are a little bit different. They're ones where we were picking up the phone and selling them on the idea. And I'm not like, hey, we've got this great thing. We can solve all your problems. Let's go. It's something like, I'm not a sales dude. So I don't want to be like, I don't have a book of all these different closes. Um, My approach is typically like, just I want them to tell me a story. I want them to tell me about employees that they're having a hard time with, um, specifically the young ones. I ask them, you know, what's the process like getting them in the door and keeping them in the door? And uh, talk to me about, you know, the last few that have left and and why did they leave? And then finally, I always ask them about where you can go in the company without a degree or diploma. And so usually what happens is they're like, you know, like, well, you can serve coffee for our company. And it's like, really? Like, what about, what about your departments? And so I've actually, I asked this in sales meetings. I've got yeah. like product, HR, talent acquisition, social media managers in the room. And I'm like, well, tell me about the people in your departments. And at times, like people laugh. Like I actually had this happen. This woman was like, you don't, be, you don't get in the marketing department of this major company without a degree. And you see her stop herself in sentence. <laughs> and she goes, our COO doesn't have a degree. And I'm like, gotcha, we got to put that in the system. Like, <laughs> COO, this major national, international company, you can get there without a degree or diploma. But for me, that's where I need to be in order to feel comfortable trying to close them. Yeah. Is for them to kind of see the value and then asking for the sale. And also asking for the sale 
on terms that work for, for both sides. As a young startup, you can't go in there talking like you've got 15 years of experience in a staff of 150 people, yeah. right? You need to be very transparent, but then also make sure to let them know why it's better to work, for a, to work with a startup. Like these people have direct access to the CEO. Like they can call me anytime and I'm on the phone with them, right? Like I'll help them with any problem that they have. And I think that they like that part of it. Like I'll go in and meet with them face to face and they enjoy that. They're not just, you know, another phone call that someone has to make. So with sales, um, work people up to that point. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the other thing is it goes back to what we talked about with leadership has to do with ego. If somebody is telling you the same piece of feedback again and again and again, it's not something wrong with them, right? Like we have people, um, you know, people always ask the same questions for us. Yeah. The very first question, how much time will this take our, our team, <laughs> right? They want to know how much time they have to invest in this thing. And like at first, when they start, when people ask me this question, I want to be like, it doesn't matter. Like it's this great thing that's going to change the world and change, you know, bring <laughs> so many people. But like that's what they value. They value their time. So now I know the very first thing I talk to them about after we get some of the hype out of the way yeah. is like this doesn't require very much time on your end. This is exactly how much time it's going to require. How long does it take you to type these characters into this form to submit to us? Because that's how long it's going to take. We'll do everything else. We'll obviously go to you for approval on stuff, but we'll do everything else to make this as painless as possible. And so like just... If people are giving you the same feedback, I promise you it's not their problem, right? It's something, that it's, it's something on your end. Um, so that's kind of my take on sales. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing you've got some, some great people that you've had on the show before that are great salespeople. But one of the best people that I learned from, because I'm not a sales guy and I get hyped up about hype, is uh, this guy called Grant Cardone. Yeah. And so Grant Cardone is just like, I just, I just read his book, uh, the, ten, the 10X Factor or whatever, like two times through in the last two weeks. <laughs> just because it's so awesome. Like he's just like, you know how you get better at sales? You just like set your targets 10 times higher and work 10 times harder. And it's like, well, actually, yeah, that probably would work. <laughs> so, so yeah, so like I, I'm st I still have so much to learn about sales, but I know for me to feel comfortable, Selling, I need someone to be excited about it, and that's my goal when I go into a sales call. So awesome! That's that aligns very well. It's so funny, like you know, me being at Post Beyond now the last year and just really grinding, you know, being on a lot of repetition, a lot of calls, just like you know, coming in with it's kind of similar to you, like raw sales skills, but no formal training. You've had your formal training, you know, getting into a lot of these big big deals and uh, what have you. But a couple of things I pulled out. I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down. You're we're similar guys in that sense, where it boils down to you know, being personal and real, right? Like no ego, just like I want to talk, I want to get to know you as a person and understand your pain points. Uh, so being personal and real always. Selling the big vision is a brilliant thing that you mentioned because we are with Post Beyond, we can get pigeonholed into just being like, you know, we're just a social media tool and we're going to amplify a little bit of your marketing and, you know, your employees are going to spit out your message on social and whatever. But it's selling the big, big vision because... This is, this is a transformative thing, like for companies, you know, banks and, and major corporations to go from saying, hey, you, your employees can't say anything on social media to empowering your entire company and having, you know, collaboration through social media and having this, this hub. It's a, you know, that's a journey, right? Like for any company that's, a, you know, a, we're looking at three years to get this fully embedded in your company. So, you know, leading with that and getting them sold on the vision out of the gate because, you know, if, if they're thinking that you're just a, a small tool in their tool set, they're not gonna they're not gonna pay any money. They're not gonna allocate any resources, and your product's never gonna be successful. So, um, that's a big thing. Asking good questions, like love what you're saying about like, you know, you come into a meeting and you're again you're just you're very personal, but you're just 
you're just trying to get to know that person's pain points and really diving in and conti- that's the, you know the biggest thing that I've learned about uh, about sales too is just like not not taking things at, at face value like I mean not being rude but you can pry a little bit right sure just, yeah really dive in and um, and then coaching as well so one thing we find to your point about like oh yeah how much time is this going to take right people are always worried about taking on more work right especially in big corporations so it's like look you know with post beyond it's very key for us to um you know we have our technology but we also have our our customer success and implementation and strategy because this is a three-year journey we're not just leaving the technology at your door and saying hey figure it out and you know we're setting you up for failure we're coaching you to say look uh and we're coaching them to know that we're going to coach them. It's like, look, yeah. we're trying to get them to understand, look, you're paying, you know, 50 grand for the year, but here's all the services you get. And here's, we're really, you know, and we play the, you know, the Canadian card and the, the customer service card that like, we actually legitimately care about you. And we're putting this process in place to, you know, to make sure that you're successful. Yeah. And it goes, so if you think about like the, the best flights that you've ever been on, um, you get on this, you get on the flight and the captain comes on and he's like, Hey, I'm your captain. I'm so-and-so I'm with this other guy who's going to, going to help fly this plane. Uh, just to let you know, you know, we just heard there's going to be a few bumps along the way, probably around this time, you know, but I'll get on and let you know if anything's going to happen. And then like you get there and they'll be like, okay, you know, you guys have to put your seatbelts on. Cause we just heard there's a little bit of turbulence ahead. Or then there's with flights where like the captain's like, it's your captain. We're going here. It's going to be this amount, this amount of time. And then there's turbulence in the middle of the flight and you don't know if the plane's crashing or, you know, if this is just regular thing because he didn't tell you before and the last pilot told you before. <laughs> so you're kind of expecting that now. And you think about that, like in relationships, like you just don't want any like surprises. Yep. You want someone to tell you up front what it's going to take, where you're going to go, how long it's going to be. Like you want that stuff up front. And so like if you can be closer to that pilot that's going to lay it all out, and like you said, coaching you on that they're going to be there to coach you. Like this pilot comes on and says like, we're going to get off in a few minutes and here's what it's going to look like and here's how long it's going to take. And then even when they're pushing back, we're pushing back and just let you know here's how long it's going to take and we just got this update at this time. You just want to be open and keeping it like that as, as, as much as possible, I think. So with every episode, we talk about uh, at the end, you know, some of your some of your best recommendations. So typically, you know, we'll look at some of the things for you. I want to hear... First off, uh, your best travel recommendations. You talk about Japan, Guatemala, but someone who, like, from your experience, some of the best places you've been, experiences, and, and what you would recommend. So for travel specifically, so obviously, so Japan's my second home now. Like, it's just a phenomenal, magical place that has something for everybody, even the people that want to marry pillows. Like, that's, it's, it's, there's something there for you. But, you know, that's one of the bigger ones. It's, it, the flight there is always a little bit more than the other ones. Um, I did mention Guatemala. So I've been to probably like, I don't know, 18 countries maybe, um, which isn't that many compared to a lot of people out there. But um, so Guatemala was awesome for me because there's just no rules there. It's like there's no, there's no like tape that says like no tourists beyond this point. Like me and my youngest brother roasted marshmallows over flowing lava on Volcano Pacaya when we were there. Like, come on. Like, I'm not even kidding. I've got photos of me over top of like a river of lava. Anywhere else, they're like, please don't go within a kilometer of this flowing lava. And me and my brother have ourselves wearing K-Way jackets, you know, roasting marshmallows and hot dogs. So like Guatemala is phenomenal. Uh, the Czech Republic has been one of my favorite places. Just a great place with a ton, a ton of scenery, great people, great food. Um, uh, there's a, a small island, so this is my third and final recommendation for travel. Uh, mm-hmm. I've got a million of them, but yeah. there's a small island off the coast of Honduras called uh, Utila or Utila. It's kind of like the Thailand 
of uh, Central America. And so everyone just goes there for scuba diving and partying. Um, and it's like the least expensive island compared to some of the other islands around there. Mm -hmm. And it's just phenomenal. Like just such good people there and an amazing time to be had, especially if you're a diver. Nice. Okay, now productivity. So that's a big thing as well that uh, we, we haven't talked about this before. I'm not sure if you're, you, you have it down to uh, much of a science or what you do and, you know, to, to keep yourself kind of on point. But that's something me personally that I'm trying to get better at, right? Mm -hmm. Just like, you know, even today, slept into like 8.45 and like come into work and I'm gassed. I played hockey late and I was on my phone late and whatever. It's just like... These little things that, um, that's a you know, big part of this, this Hunter and Craft project is just like trying to improve yourself, share learning and, and just, you know, try to add value in whatever way we can, right? So that's a big thing that I'm trying to improve is, you know, my productivity, just making little tweaks in my routine to be happier and more productive. So do you have anything that you do that, uh, that really helps you kind of stay on point? Yeah, so two concrete actionable items and then one philosophical thing. Okay. Uh, uh, one is get your ass out of bed before 5 a.m. <laughs> like I don't care if you're like, get out of bed before five. I'm up every day, 4.40, I walk my dog, I've got my workout done before 6.30 um, because I feel that at the beginning of the day, you need to start by getting something done. And that something done doesn't mean checking your emails. I mean something that's actually moving the needle on you as a person, whether that's studying a language, whether that's spending time with your family, whether that's going to the gym, whatever, get something done because it sets the tone for the rest of the day. So I'm like, I'm like really bullish on like, even on weekends, at least one of the days on the weekend, I'm up and I'm, I might just take a day on the bike or I'm there doing a full workout at the gym. But it's like, get to the gym, get something done first thing in the morning like, and get up early. Yep. Uh, the other thing, uh, do not keep your phone within reach of your bed. Like it's, that has to be literally one of the biggest changes that I've made in the past like three years. I, I keep my phone on the opposite side of the room. I put it on, you know, do not disturb as soon as I'm in my bedroom kind of shutting it down for the night. Yep. And I do not look at that phone until I'm out of the bed and uh, on the way to the gym in the morning. That's, that's the, those are my two actionable items. The third thing, uh, which is the kind of more philosophical thing, is just get rid of the idea of balance. Because everyone assumes balance. So if we look at like a, a traditional scale, right? You put one thing on one end of the scale and then it starts to like, you know, outweigh the other end. And now you gotta put something on the other end to bring that balance back. And that's how everyone kind of typically views balance. But balance also means throwing a thousand things on one end and weighing it down to the ground and then eventually working and putting the other things on the other end. And there might be people out there like shaking their heads like this guy's smoking crackers, no way. <laughs> but if you think about it, like, you think about like someone that runs on a, like a teacher's school schedule. They grind it out for the school year and then they've got three months off to like go and hang out and party or work another job or you know travel or be with their family or whatever it is that they do. And so I kind of view work as the same thing. Like grind it out right now. Like if it's six months of pure grind so that you can take a six week vacation to Prague, awesome, like do that. And I think that that's also balance, right? Figuring out what works for yourself and your family or your loved ones or whoever's in your life or whatever's in your life, but knowing that that balance isn't necessarily this thing where it's like one and one. The only time it is one and one is typically sleep and health, like sleep and exercise. That is one and one. Like you can't catch up on sleep and it makes it much more difficult if you neglect your health for a long period of time. Uh, relationships are probably the other one that I add into that. But outside of those three things, man, pile it on on work. Like just pile it, pile it, pile it on and then figure out where you can free up that time to just have one of those like absolute epic trips and vacations where you <laughs> unplug and not worry about anything. 
Okay, so you mentioned Grant Cardone uh, as one of your book recommendations. Give me a couple others. Uh, and also, when do you read? Are you an audiobook guy? Like, what's kind of the, your routine for trying to read as much as you can? Yeah, I'm an audiobook guy for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, we live in this wonderful city where the transportation is often delayed and stuck in between <laughs> stations. Uh, so it gives you a good chance to catch up on that stuff. Plus, I'm also on the road quite a bit. Yeah. Um, in the gym, if I'm not lifting, if I'm on the on the bike or elliptical or treadmill, I'm listening to an audiobook. Mm-hmm. Um, so audiobook for sure. Uh, some of the books that I definitely recommend. Um, so there's one. Uh, so there's two by the same group of brothers. So there's a Chip and Dan Heath, and they wrote these two fantastic yeah. books. So one is made, one is made to stick. Uh, which is really, really cool, and it's kind of like more like their mainstream one. But they wrote this other one called Switch, and it's so awesome because it talks about reframing problems so that people can digest them and like figure out like the quickest way to solve the problem. And it talks about how like usually our first conclusion is like, we need to change the system, and here's how we can create change, but sometimes it's just like a minor wording thing or like a minor positioning thing that you need to change. Um, so it's a fantastic book. I recommend everyone goes gets that one. So switch, uh, made to stick. And then one that has nothing to do with business, but kind of has these things that you could pull for business, but I haven't found those things yet. I just like the book. Uh, it's called Emergency by yeah. Neil Strauss. And so Neil Strauss, he's probably famous for writing the book called The Game, which is like this like pickup artist book, which I may or may not have on my bookshelf, but I don't, I'm not that guy. Um, but Emergency talks about like, like what happens if like catastrophe happens. Like, you know, he starts off by just wanting to get this other passport and then he ends up taking these like courses on how to skin goats and like stockpile ammo and stuff like I'm not I'm not really that guy but it's just a fascinating book that there's this group of people out there that are like have these bunkers in their backyard filled with just a bunch of stuff that no one's ever gonna need and so uh, so yeah so I bought that I bought that book and then I bought a bunch of survival gear that's actually in a suitcase <laughs> I have this like bug out suitcase if anything ever happens you guys come and find me I've got a suitcase I've got enough solar blankets for the world <laughs> bomb shelter exactly <laughs> exactly so so I, I like you know I like having some books like that sometimes that I don't have to like really figure out like how is this going to impact my business uh, but uh, Horowitz's book is also fantastic I think it's called like the hard things about hard things yep. maybe yep. amazing book because he talks about so many things that nobody else talks about and like I think startups in general are very discounted in the complexity of the problems that we run into and everyone's like just do stuff fast and fail faster and like ship, ship, ship. And it's like, okay, cool. What do I do when I have no money and my co-founder leaves? Or what do I do when my top three customers are all absolutely angry at me and threatening to like pull on a deal? What do I do when I lose the investment from the top investor in the world um, and all of the other investors now fall out because he's no longer in? Like those are the types of problems that we ran into um, and his book actually gave some really clear guidance on how to get through that stuff. So I'm indebted to him for writing that book for sure. And if I ever meet him, I'll quote some rap lyrics or something for him. <laughs> you know, he starts like every blog post off with rap lyrics. So I'm a hip hop encyclopedia. I'll make sure I hit him up with something. If people want to find you online, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. So Twitter at lunch underscore buddy. Uh, lunch buddy, lunch <laughs> underscore buddy. Uh, and I've got a website, ryanspeaks.com. But more importantly, like I'm super accessible. Uh, Ryan at raiseyourflag.com is the best way to e- email me or contact me. Just get in touch. I like to be helpful and I like people to share stories with me because I, I kind of get fueled from that stuff. So anytime anyone has something to say or ask, hit me up. That's a wrap on our 15th episode of Hunter and Craft Radio. Thanks, Ryan, for coming on. I know I really enjoyed that one. Hope you guys did too. 
Until next time, keep in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and through our community on our site, hunterandcraft.com. Peace.